So it's quite a paradox in many ways, the, these meetings where it's not exactly like a class where I'm just going to give you lectures and you're just you know, students. And yet at the same time, I'm not going to really get to know you each personally very well, <laughs> you know, 30 people or so. But it's somewhere between those two. Because uh, what I hope I'll be uh, talking about and reaching into you with is something that's actually quite intimate uh, and uh, really about you individually, uh, each of you individually. Not about, say, your personal history, though that might come into it. You'll begin to review perhaps some of your personal history. Um, particularly in terms of how your mind is moving. This is really about a heart-to-heart transmission. You know, like what's it like to be human? What's it like to uh, experience what we experience? Feeling, uh, loss, joy, aspiration, fear, confusion, uh, search, clarity, struggle, integrity confusion, all these kinds of qualities that all of us experience, you know, and it's quite a tangle that we all find our lives are in, and what we're trying to present is, you know, all those those tangles that somehow seem so very much about each of us personally, (laughs) are actually pretty common threads, (laughs) you know, it's like the clothes we wear may be different, but the threads are pretty much the same sort of stuff, you know, and this is casting lights on those and trying to find out like ways in which you, each of you individually, can unpick some of the tangles and repair some of the tears <laughs> in those in those threads. <laughs> this is really what the you know the Buddha taught, and particular just the phrase I'm using to. Um, theme to sort of mark this session together, firm centre, open heart. Um, and these are these are qualities you probably immediately oh, get in some respect, you know, there's a sense of when am I firm and upright and a sense of integrity and really grounded? And when do I feel closed and defensive and, you know, not really open to myself even? And when do I feel shaky and uncertain, when do I really feel open? And most of us will all agree, yeah, firm centre, open heart, that's when I'm in my good space, that's when I feel good. But it doesn't happen as much as I would like. (laughs) There are things that knock me around and things that cause me to close down. Um, And so really this is is the theme. And we're trying to actually say, look, you know, you, you can touch into that, that quality here, in this time here, um, so you know where it is, where the firm centre really is, and it's something, a quality that's both, you could say psychological, it's spiritual, it's emotional, it's also embodied, you know, you really feel, in your, in, you know, it's not spun out, you're actually pretty centred and grounded. Um, and that you can refer back to that in 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 uh, your, your, your life, your daily life. 
so you can actually have a firm boat you can steer through this ocean with. It doesn't keep t- flopping, turning over and getting spun around in the storms. Same time, the openness is really... <laughs> it's, a, it's a curious quality. It's both you know, beautiful, but also, it's also rather vulnerable. If I'm too open, I could easily get shredded by just the amount of stuff that's flooding in and some of it's not particularly wholesome. And so openness, and yet the openness to really transmit and bring forth what you feel is good and true and to be able to speak it, live it and bring it forth. And yet a certain sense of the ability to stay open but filter what's coming in. And so I've used this image of those, you know, those big whales you see in the ocean, the baleen whales, who've got massive gape, and they steer through the ocean, and these sheets of baleen that they coming down from their upper jaw, or so all the water comes flooding in, and they just filter out the bit they need, and the rest they just let pass through. <laughs> you know, so you can actually get the good stuff. And just let the rest of it <laughs> you know, fly past. And this is requires skill to know how to filter and to know how to filter and what to pick up and what to linger in. That bit not just that bit can fast past. And so you get you begin to learn how to free up those places where you get tangled and stuck and reactive and just take in what's useful and let let the rest of it just float past. So we, we stay open, yet we have a certain mesh, you could say, that uh, keeps keeps uh, things clear, which you give attention to. And there's specific skills you can cultivate for that. So this is these are some of the uh, founding themes, and I'll go into them in, in more detail and try to present practices and ways and means that you can pick up and uh, some of you may be familiar with, some may be slightly new. Um, uh, and they're all things I practice myself a lot and train in and so on. But tonight... I don't know whether you've just, how many of you just arrived today, you've been travelling, you probably need some settling in time, and this can happen, this can take, this can take a day or two really, to just change gear from something where most of us are pretty busy and talking a lot, and we stop. And it's it's like, we're changing time zones internally, <laughs> and you know, so it's, you find new, find another gear on the box when you've been running in top. We're going to go down, shift gear down, because of this lower gear you can see into the roots of your mind, not just the stuff that's blowing out at the top, but the roots of it. You know, the fundamental. Basis, basis of the mind. And this is where you can do your work. You go, oh, that one, it's not very well established. That one's, that one's, that one's just, a, that's a, just an assumption, you know. That one's steady. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And so one of the founding themes for firmness is um, the precepts. Over here we're using these five moral precepts. They're not by themselves so special or refined. But you, you pick them up and you try to not just obey or see them as laws where you're going to get punished, but as qualities that you can use to firm, firm your mind in one aspect of your mind, your sense of integrity, your sense of how you relate to others. And so that this firming up, <clears throat> not just doing it, which was, is a requirement for this situation, for your own welfare, for the welfare of other people, we are cultivating first precept, non-harming, non-destroying life. Second precept, not taking anything that isn't specifically offered to you, and many offerings will be made. Third precept, uh, refraining from sexual misconduct. During retreat time, we just refrain from sexual activity. Just cool down, you know, people feel safe, comfortable, we know what we're doing. We're not into that at this time. Fourth precept, refrain from harmful uh, speech, such as lying, uh, gossip, slander, swearing, pointless babble, you know, uh, manipulating people with our speech, caricaturing people with our speech, bad-mouthing people behind their backs, or to their face, in fact. <laughs> yeah. And actually, in retreat time, we're really cultivating, look, let's just stop talking. And this is quite a practice, because it's socially really strange. <laughs> Very strange. Yeah. You're sitting there on a breakfast table and there's somebody right in front of you. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> this can be done. Once we understand this is what we're doing, and it's, it's pretty much standard for retreats, it's, we refrain from talking. Unless you're really in a you know, crisis of some kind, or you've got to see, you know, see a doctor, or problem with you, you talk to the manager. So you have a person you can go to, refer to the manager, Lynn in the office, and so forth. You know, a message for me. You can leave a note. On a, on, you know, leave a note here. Uh, but then the point of this is to be able to listen much more deeply. You know, and we can even listen to the way we think, where our thoughts come up. You know, things we think about. And we're listening and carrying that, listening to it, and the way we, way we think. And the way that quite a bit of speech one finds is really just social gestures to make each other feel comfortable. Fair enough. Um, that's nothing wrong with that. In this situation, we want to try to encourage ourselves to feel comfortable by gestures of respect. Mm-hmm. So once you've undertaken that, gestures of respect. As these are things like, you know, we're all going to go for the meal, let's do this in an orderly way, and please help yourself, or pass the, you know, the sugar or something down the table, you see 
he hasn't got as much or being aware of where you are in the room if you're not so you give other people plenty of space um, you know if you're in a shared dwelling that the dormitory you walk down there quietly because you're aware other people there may be resting or sensitive so you take it quietly you don't bang doors and these all these are gestures of we respect the space so the difference you know when we are cultivating speech restraint or not speaking it's not as if we're cutting each other off we're actually offering each other the gift of silence not I don't like you silence but silence now you can listen really deeply and I'm not going to, I'm not going to interrupt you now you can listen to yourself very clearly and I'm not going to keep you know, interjecting or commenting and I'd like can I, could you offer me that so I can just turn things over turn things over listen deeply please offer me the silence so it's it's a it's an offering silence silence rather than a shut up silence (laughs) when you're listening more intently it's not just your thoughts you're listening to, you're also listening to the, the moods, listening to the silence in the room. So your hearing gets very acute, the sensitivity increases. You begin to feel things in your body more clearly. So this is always considered pretty much a standard uh, complement to, to meditation, to maintain that the awareness of silence, the awareness of space, the non-impingement. And this is, takes us to another theme, which is to touch on the fifth precept, refraining from alcohol, things where you cloud the mind. And this again is a you know, standard for retreat and definitely be encouraged in life clearly again drinking is a social custom have a beer together chat things over have a glass of wine and so forth doesn't seem to be doing much harm glass of wine pint of beer or something if that's as far as it ever went I think the world would be quite a happy place unfortunately it doesn't just stay there you know so, so you know, once we we've made a clear line, we don't have to determine whether one glass is okay, two glasses, three. Do you want to be driving? How good is your speech? You know, if you just make that line, uh, we can be social and friendly another way. Cup of tea. Um, you know, just be warm to each other. Uh, because then, then it really does create a line that makes it very simple and clear. Uh, because as you recognize uh, how much crime associated with intoxication, uh, violence, people certainly lose their clarity, they lose their integrity. So rape, 
violence, abuse, fighting, stealing, uh, losing surveillance of their own mind, losing supervision of their of their instincts and habits and moods. And so we say, well, look, you know, it's just nothing. Can I, then I can maintain supervision. Maybe other ways I could be sociable or relaxed. This is a pretty important thing to consider. On the retreat, there's no question about it, just no, nothing. <clears throat> and you know. Uh, so that makes, makes it very simple, really. And we see we can. Uh, you know, it can be, uh, once you're touching into real uh, values and, and practices, you find a tremendous sense of of warm-heartedness and compassion and friendliness occurs between people who aren't even talking to each other because we sense the sense of shared endeavour and shared aspiration and shared struggle and the fact of mind, the sheer fact of it is that once your mind has an empathic quality to it and one of the tragedies of our societies is how how, lo- how alone we can be uh, and how this puts so much weight and responsibility on each individual and how if we are together collective we're just so much stronger <coughs> and so much more comfortable and the struggles we, we have to, we may experience if we do it together we can we rise up we can make it whereas individually you just it's too much you know? and this is certainly a major theme to uh, um, consider and encourage in um, whatever your lives are spiritual practice no one no one does well alone completely alone if you want to be alone, you've really got to cut yourself off completely. If you want to be functioning in this world, you have to have friends. And yeah, and the better the friends are, the more straight, the more reliable, the more sober, the more honest, and the more harm, you know, less violent they are. And so, well, I'm going to do that. <laughs> and you know, so I'm going to be a good friend uh, to, 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 to you. And you know, it encourages us all of us to rise to a standard whereby we feel this person's solid, reliable. She's not going to say bad things about me. I can ask her for a favour. She'll, you know, I can tell, ask her to tell me the truth, and he'll tell it, even if it's uncomfortable for me. That's the kind of people I know. I know where I am. That's the kind of people I can live with, who will be a treasure to my life. Now, if you're looking for those, best thing is to be one yourself. <laughs> and to find a certain sense of upright joy in that, and that becomes a firm center, a firm center of integrity. And then, when that we feel open, I've got nothing to hide, I've got no shadows, I've got nothing to regret. You know, I've got nothing, you know, you can expose me all you like, I haven't got any dark secrets. <laughs> You know, and that's you just feel really free like that when you can you can practice like that so this sense of 
you know, ethical integrity. It's not about judgment and legality, it's about finding, you know, a way to live with responsibility but it's not heavy responsibility it's a certain sense of joyful responsibility I can I can carry this and it will be for my welfare it will take all kinds of worries and anxieties away from me I have nothing to regret if I can live like that that's that's already a major blessing of course with these precepts, you know, the, the taking of them or commitment to them. But then it's not just like signing a form. No, okay, I did the five precepts, right, I mean, here's the visa. It means you, you actually remember and bring to mind and try to get the tone of it. You see? What I mean, the tone is like, you think, oh, I don't kill creatures yet. But just, you, I don't kill animals, I don't cuckoo, I don't harm creatures, I don't lie, I don't swear. Okay, fact. What is the tone of it? Which means you take it into your heart, and you think things like, no creature need fear me. No creature need fear me. The quality of violence has been removed. My word is straight. My word is reliable. And you, the feeling of it, a certain heart quality we call the upright mind. And this is where we begin to work with what, we, what I'm calling felt meanings or perceptions. Felt meaning is perhaps give you a better handle of it. It means something and it feels something. You know, it both means, you know, I don't tell lies, or I'm not telling lies, or I did tell a lie, but Let's get back to that, try again, pick it up again. Because when I remember that, I recollect it as a feeling that comes with it, a certain straight dignity that comes with it. Uh, A certain sense of clarity and dignity that comes with it. That's the upright mind. That's that's a very firm centre to refer to. But of course we have to refer to it quite a lot, because there's a thousand and one other things to refer to in our lives, you know, kinds of data. This is why, one of the reasons why we go on retreat, is just clean the desktop. You, know? you come here, to retreat, you should, I hope you have made a determined effort just to say, put everything on hold, switch off the phones, switch, you know, switch off the all that, sweep away what you can for, for your five or six days, clean the desktop, of the circumstances which are ongoing circumstances they've been going on for years they'll keep going on to the day you die it's never finished it's never complete it's never tidied up there's always another one to deal with let's just let's just shelve it <laughs> and like you know go deeper into what is this life about you know, before I start to deal with all the the details, the circumstances, what am what I so born with? You know, what will I die with? What is the, what is the undercurrent? What is the, the foundation of this life? Before I start just heaping things on top of it. So in, 
practice in retreat is often there's a time to regenerate, to go back to roots, to go back to fundamental, you know, questions about our life, about your life, what I'm about, what's important, where am I going, what what do I have to rely upon when I'm sick, yeah, when I have a tough time in business, my family affairs go strange, health is, is difficult, these are all things that can happen to us, but aren't they? You know, probably have several times, I imagine. But have you, you know, when you've got, well, I can stop killing, stealing, lying. You know, that's, a, that's something that's not going to change. That's not going to change. Oh, there's that. Because that, and then you've got something that's not swayed by this tide of circumstances. The gain, loss, praise, blame, win, lose. Sick health, sickness, health, currents. You've got something you can refer to. So we often come back to this, ideally, even on a daily basis, just to remember the meanings and the feeling of that. And this is really the guiding star. This is the keel of this boat. You know, she's doing this to me. He's giving me a hard time. This is broken down. I've got to get this done by tomorrow. But what about this? Even five minutes. You've got something that helps to steady you in this vortex of experience. And often it will help to determine your responses to people. You know, particularly with speech. You could kind of exaggerate, tell a white lie, have a Natter about so and so, gossip about so and so, really bad mouth somebody else over who's not not in the room at the time. Well, you say no, no, that's no, I don't do that. It's not. It's not worth. It's not good speech. Better to be quiet because all these things leave their effects on other people. It also that we we they condition our own minds to be. Critical, negative, fault finding, and so forth. So, I don't want, I don't want this in my mind. I don't want this habit. These are five precepts, and I do also, as I said, extending this uh, speech precept to practice practicing silence. Like all these precepts are practices; they're not laws, it means you make an effort and occasionally you slip up and you look at where you slipped up and you think about it how does that happen? how do I feel about that? how do I get caught with that? right, that's the point that's, that's where I get reactive that's where it is, look at that and as we meditate, we begin to look into some of these places where we're reactive or stirred or whatever. And, um, and this is the work, often the work of meditation is beginning to recognize these trigger points, say our buttons, and begin to defuse those trigger points. So we're less rattled by experience. 
Now, the other, you know, what clearly we uh, realize on retreats and, you know, really reminding and encouraging you to try to make a big effort to, to, to hold those standards. It's quiet, silent. First of all, it seems like, you know, what I'm supposed to, your mind is used to doing a lot more. You know, reading, talking, chatting, switching things on. It's just, I like the idea of being quiet for about a minute. <laughs> and I feel it's slightly okay now, so, yeah, so what happens? So it's like nothing happens. <laughs> and it looks like it's happening again. <laughs> in the morning, nothing happens. In the afternoon, nothing happens. In the evening, nothing happens. Hmm. Right, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> Actually, quite a lot is happening. <laughs> you know, which is the mind is swinging around looking for something, feeling restless, <laughs> remembering things, you know, uh, bodies tweak, twinging and pain. You know, it's quite a lot happening. <laughs> Just not what we particularly chosen. But within this, as you another feature of the retreat, you'll notice is um, we sit a lot. We sit still a lot. Much more than normally. People don't normally sit still for very long at all. Particularly without reading something or looking at something. We sit still. And the body's not used to that. Maybe. This is a very important part of Meditation, be able to sit still. Uh, and again, we should be careful of making this into some rule, a law. Make an effort. We try to, to sit still. Like we try to keep the moral standards. We try. And we, we lose it, we pick it up again. We try. We try. Uh, and with the body, you've got to be even more generous your attitudes, because just the, you know, there's something about bodies get stiff, your old body, bodies are stiff, the muscles aren't attuned to sitting, to holding your body upright, it does take time and effort, so you've got to be prepared to just flex a bit, you know, Uh, for me this is pretty easy, I've been doing it for 45 years. (laughs) But when I first started, Ten minutes, that was about it. And then <laughs> but why, why, why? It's because there's a certain energy that comes up when the body is still and held in a particular upright position. Uh, we all know we have sensations that occur in our bodies as they touch things, and it's maybe the dominant experience, tactile sensations. But also you realize you have energy in your body. And it's not just energy to do things. There's a certain quality we call vitality. Yeah. And this could, but it's not, it's a certain property of vitality and energy. And the, the theme in sitting meditation is that very energy, this fundamental energy, not of doing energy, but of being energy. Yeah. Your body is vibrant. It's... Uh, it's like the nervous system, you could say. It's an energetic system. 
And if that is held carefully, that energy begins to settle and steady and come into a kind of a, a subtle form which becomes powerful and strengthening. And you sit and you feel really good. Because the energy in your body, instead of jumping here and there, it's balanced and it's steady, and it begins to gather potential, rather like a, a dynamo. Not by doing things, but by stillness. And so it's, you know, almost contradictory. Uh, but it gathers this energy, and the quality of this energy is that it, the mind goes into it and begins to quiet down. Because, of course, the mind is energy, isn't it? And in, you know, what is the mind? Now, you might be able to think it's this thinking machine, thinking system that runs on. Thinking is one thing it does. But even more significantly, from the Buddhist point of view, mind is heart. It's the sense of the feeling sense. As obviously, uh, it means Heart means emotions such as joy, sorrow, irritation, and so forth. Heart is also courage. It's also putting your heart into something, you know, commitment. It's also um, love, clearly. It's also open hearted receptivity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's also about patience, just bearing with, for the sake of something. We open our hearts and we bear with things. And in a Buddhist understanding, this heart quality is the source of our impulses. Which means all our intentions, our impulses, our do-it energies, whether, whether we physically act upon them or not, you know, the movement of, oh, that's a great heart. Yeah, great. Did you feel something move? Oh, yeah. Did you feel something move? That jump. Oh, I forgot to do that. Did you see something move? Now, when we're actually just looking, looking at the thoughts, we notice the thought popped in and popped out again. But the thought itself was so, we were so concerned with the thought, which I put my car keys, what's her name? Uh, and so forth, that, that thought, we didn't really recognise, there was a jump that took, that, that thought jumped up. And yeah, it does, doesn't it? So thought has an energy to it, and behind that energy of thought, there's a certain emotion, like doubt. What am I supposed to be doing? Doubt, the doubt energy, the doubt heart threw that thought up. The fear emotion, what's he looking at me for? Oh dear. Have I done something wrong? Right. Something stirred. The the anger energy. Why is he clunking those shoes around for? Honestly, people have got no respect in this place. And we're very li- much listening to those those ideas. But did you notice something jumped up? And, and jumped onto him. <laughs> and started slapping him around like a bunch of <laughs> Or it could be things like, what's she wearing that weird pair of pants for? You know, it, it, you know, something jumped out and got onto her. What a funny, what a, what a funny hairdo he's got. And jumped onto that. Something jumped. And this jumping out is a quality you know, called um, 
The Buddhist word is chitana. I call it impulse, volition, intention. Some of it's it's deliberate. A lot of it is not deliberate. It just jumps. You see something, your mind jumps, and that jump is significant because where where it jumps, then your thinking starts running in that direction, and you find yourself preoccupied or dealing with where it's jumped to. Now, in this practice of meditation, when your body energy is pretty steady, it's almost like a magnet, and it holds the heart from that jumping out. This is called samadhi, collectedness or consolidation. It just holds out, so you don't, you don't, need, to, you don't need to concern yourself with her hairdo. So what? Stay here. You don't need to think about yesterday. Stay here. You don't have to plan tomorrow. Stay here. You don't have to have this tribunal in your head thinking about what he did and didn't do and how he shouldn't have been there. You don't need that right now. That's all, it's, it's all just agitation. Settle. Move away from the jump into the settledness because this is where you're going to find a tremendous sense of regeneration. Suddenly you feel refreshed because your mind isn't racing around burning you out and using up your energy. A tremendous amount of energy is used up in thinking and in emotions that just scurry around doing nothing useful, really. You know, making judgments about yourself and others. What good does that do you? You know, constantly dealing with things in the past that was right and wrong. Well, you can go on like that forever, really. And it gets, it gets, we lose the direction. So the mind is to be held. There's a saying, I think Winston Churchill, he said, look, if you're on a journey, going down the road, you have to keep throwing stones at every dog that barks, you're never going to get to the, where you want to go. <laughs> and yet we can... <laughs> this impulsive jump. Steady, back, back. So we use the body to give this firm, energetic centre the mind can come back to because it's actually rather pleasant and enjoyable to settle into this. Yeah. And one of the main themes in, in the Buddhist cultivation is just this breathing in and breathing out, which on, our, on paper sounds the most boring thing in the world, because surely once you breathe in and out once, that's it. And it. As an idea it is, but as it's like an energetic massage, it continually shifts energy through your body. Yeah. And we'll train ourselves in this, cultivate, this is one of our main trainings, just to comb the body's energies with this steady, easy, deep out-breath and in-breath. And then you've got a body center that's firm and reliable, and you can return to to steady your mind when it starts to get jangly and frazzled and jumpy. Just breathe out. Steady here you are. So these are important axes of practice, the Practice of integrity, practice of embodiment. Mm. Mm. Another 
firm reference in this is to our, you know, what are you words for? Spiritual axis. Buddhist center, Buddhist retreat center, we're using these images of the Buddha, a great teacher, awakened, clarity, integrity, you know, clarity, integrity, compassion, kindness, wise, images resonating these meanings, Dhamma, that which is presented as an occasion for us to develop and grow ourselves, Sangha, the sense of a human endeavors collected to you know, to, to move forward as a collective, which is much stronger than just as an individual, and what we do with that, we resonate with these. And again, this provides a, a very this is probably, this is what we call refuge. Refuge. Because these qualities go beyond nation, time, culture, family. Doesn't mean they deny them, they say, yeah, but this is more, this is beyond that. We get caught up in the state of our country, our nation, our town, our family, and so forth. It's always rocking around, you know. We identify with that. It's, you know, it's never that great, really. But then we resonate with this quality of clarity, truthfulness. And this has been a, a transmission going on for thousands of years that's resonated and run through the lives of millions of people. And through that, running through the life of millions of people, it has generated and attracted vast qualities of generosity, of endeavor, of sharing, of compassion, of self-sacrifice, of patience. This is the channel that we're turning to. And it's saying, there's room for you. If you want to be in it, you will. There's no admission fee. If you want to be in it, and you turn up for it, and you tune yourself to it, you are in it. And you'll never feel a sense of despair and hopelessness. You'll have a refuge. These then are your primary axes. Um, and we we'll talk about those uh, and try to uh, make those meaningful in the, over the next few days as best I can.